Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Kiandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I am a survivor of an eating disorder and I share a lot of information to help you on your recovery journey. Um, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. In recent weeks, I've had some amazing, amazing feedback. So keep leaving those reviews um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I love, love hearing from you. This episode is actually going to be a special one. It is a collaboration episode with Sarah Liz King. So Sarah is an exercise physiologist and she's also a health coach and works with people overcoming compulsive exercise, disordered eating, eating disorders and hypothalamic amenorrhea. Her amazing um, healing HA group is something that um, a lot of people um go into and help to heal their HA. But if you don't know what HA is, that's hypothalamic amenorrhea. And that's what we're going to be focusing this episode on. So it's all about periods, period recovery, period loss and eating disorders. So it's going to be really, really special. This introduction is just a um, requisite, prerequisite to the episode. So um, I am going to say goodbye and we're going to go straight into it, but I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's helpful. And as always, I'll leave all the links in the show notes so you can check um, Sarah out and all her socials, etc. But for now, I'll see you in a bit. Hello, Sarah. It is a pleasure to have this conversation with you on this collaborative podcast episode, which is going to be all about periods and eating sort of recovery. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to have this chat. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, I've done a couple of these collaborative episodes before, and it's a really nice way to both, sh- you know, share to our audiences things that they they need to know and probably unanswered questions on their recovery journey. So, um, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell the listeners a little bit about myself in a minute um, for your audience, but um, for the case of my audience, Sarah, what, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am an accredited exercise physiologist, so I live in Australia. Um, and I know that exercise physiologists also exist over in the UK as well, and I am also a recovery coach, just like you. So I work predominantly with women who are seeking food freedom, more of a balanced relationship with exercise, regaining their periods, um, and that want to reach full recovery, whether that be from an eating disorder, disordered eating, or just hypothalamic amenorrhea. So that's a little bit about me outside of work. I have a cute little dog, Henry, who is staring at me and you might hear him whimpering <laughs> or playing with a toy because he wants attention. Um, and I live in beautiful Bondi beach. So I'm definitely a girl that loves summer. Uh, I love my morning walk, grabbing a coffee. It's what sets me up for a really wonderful day. Um, and then I would say on the weekends, my favorite sport is coffee shop trying, which is not a sport, but mm. I love to kind of like explore new places to eat, to grab coffee, to hang out with my friends. So that's what keeps me pretty balanced. Amazing that I, I wish I could go to Australia right now. Um, I was saying before this episode, we have got a very grim summer. I think we had probably two weeks of sunshine, um, this oh. summer. And I think that's it for now, but lovely to, to get to know you a little bit more, Sarah. Um, 
coffee shopping is definitely my my one of my favorite spots too it is just perfect especially in different cities yeah for the cases of of your listeners um i'm kiandra i um live in the uk i was going to say sunny uk not sunny <laughs> at all i i am an eating disorder recovery coach primarily um i've been in within the space um for about a year um i'm also trained as a counselor which is a, a therapeutical practitioner in other maybe other countries but i also work as a social media manager it keeps me balanced um for a sleep a sleep meditation app which is slightly slightly different but it's fun and um just keeps me keeps me balanced and keeps that difference in my life um but primarily i work as an eating disorder, disorder recovery coach online uh, and provide resources to a lot of different people outside of work i um adore traveling that's like my spot um i live live to travel i love seeing new cities and ex- experiencing new cu- cultures and the foods there um and i also live in a place called yorkshire which is a big a big county in the uk up north with my partner and we have a house there so yeah quite a quite a uh, relaxed life And I love, I guess, talking to people in the UK. I have so many clients in the UK, so I get to know about all the little different pockets of, yeah, all throughout Europe, but the UK predominantly. So it's so good to connect. Definitely. And, yeah, I think, you know, obviously you work primarily within the hypothalamic amenorrhea space. You know, you have your group Healing HA, which, again, you've got so much, so much knowledge on it. So I thought given we've probably both given our lived experience, we've both shared, you know, some, some of our own struggles with, with food and potentially period loss that, um, it would be actually quite useful for our listeners to actually understand our, our own journey with, with periods. So I suppose firstly for, you know, you know, so much more than me about this, what is HA? And what is its impact? Um, and I suppose how does disordered eating impact cycles? Yeah. Well, first of all, it is such a mouthful to say. Hypothalamic <laughs> amenorrhea. Uh, I had no idea that this condition existed. For the 10 years that I had a missing period, it was never really brought up as a condition or even a consideration. And I saw so many different doctors and so many specialists. Um, Obviously, I have a full range of podcasts on my story in particular. If your audience want to listen to that or my audience, I will put those links for you below. But hypothalamic amenorrhea is a type of secondary amenorrhea. So, That essentially means that you have had a period at some point in your life and then you have lost it again for a period of three months or longer. So three consecutive months or longer. And hypothalamic amenorrhea in particular is diagnosed through a diagnosis of exclusion. So basically that means we have to rule out a whole bunch of other potential causes of a missing period before we land on hypothalamic amenorrhea as the diagnosis. Now, there's a little bit of, I guess, information in the name that tells us what is causing that amenorrhea, and the word is hypothalamic. So that refers to our hypothalamus, which is in our brain, and it is kind of responsible for 
making sure the environment is all safe and sound. So it kind of takes information from the body and lets us know if there's enough energy around to keep particular processes going. And if there's not enough energy around, then what happens is the hypothalamus down regulates the production of our sex hormones. It goes, let's keep this body alive. Let's make sure that we protect all of the absolute fundamental processes like making sure that we breathe and that our heart beats and you know that we can digest the food that we eat even though that slows down but it is trying to keep you alive and it goes reproduction is absolutely not essential right now so we can downregulate that or shut mm. it down right and that's what causes a missing period so there are those three main factors that often feed into it, which is underfueling, overexercising, and too much stress. And stress can either be psychological stress or it can be physical stress, and both do impact the body. Definitely. And, and I suppose physical stress and mm. um, I'm guessing around that you're meaning high high intensity exercise, or would that also be, um, I suppose for anyone that doesn't know, is that is that a range of different physical stresses? Yeah, so physical stress is obviously high intensity exercise is one of them, but we know physical stress is also things like weight suppression. So placing your body underneath where it feels it can function most optimally. Um, and you can weight suppress at any body size if you are pushing your body underneath where it prefers to be. Um, and I feel like that's quite a common thing that occurs is, you know, even if a person doesn't even quote unquote lose that much weight, they might be pushing themselves and being really either consciously or unconsciously restrictive with their, their food intake and, and quite, um, either dedicated or obsessive with exercise. Like I said, we see so many people affected by hypothalamic amenorrhea. People that have disordered eating is definitely a big subset of that. But then there are people that fall into it simply because they are unaware of how much their actual body needs to function and to thrive. So we see it a lot in athletes or people that are just recreationally very active and, you know, potentially taking on a lot of information surrounding like what is quote unquote healthy eating, but that actually sets them up for failure because it means, you know, after following these healthy eating practices, their body's just not getting enough energy in. Definitely. And I think, you know, that uh, there's another term that I've, I've fell upon a couple of times, REDS, so relative energy deficiency, and that's the female athletic triad, which again, is very, very similar to uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea, but it, it, it is, and, and to be an athlete, athlete, you don't need to be in the Olympics, it could be your regular gym goer. Um, yeah. But I have forgotten the name of somebody who shares some really, really good information on REDS. S, but I'm going to leave it in the show notes because there is a lady that's like a sports dietitian um, who's talked around red S before that I've also had some, you know, real, real insight from. Again, it's slightly different because it involves, you know, I suppose maybe um, addressing those exercise, uh, exercise is the main trigger uh, of yeah. period loss, but again, similar and overlap. 
Yeah. It's not, is it Rennie McGregor? Yeah. Rennie McGregor. That that's exactly who I, who I was thinking of. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, she's got a lot of great resources and, um, the endocrinologist that she regularly works with Dr. Nikki Kay, also a really great wealth of information on this topic. Um, so if anyone is listening, definitely go check those two people out because they are incredible humans in this space for sure and I think with anything once you understanding is one of the main keys to recovery if you don't understand what's going on you like you said in your own journey it's like I didn't even know what hypothalamic amenorrhea was for 10 years and once you understood that's when you can make a change and I think it's similar for myself for me I and then maybe it was a maybe it was a different um, component of my eating disorder. Part of me was scared to get my period back. It was part of my eating disorder that my period loss was a marker of achievement. Again, that is not something now I think I would be incredibly fearful if I lost my period because it's now a marker of health. It's something that I had to go through my journey of recovery. But I I do see it from time and time again in, in clients being like, but I'm scared that that means now I'm, I'm healthy. Does that mean I don't have an eating disorder anymore? And, you know, I just want to preface saying you still have an eating disorder, whether you have a period or not. Some people never lose their period. That's another thing. Um, I know for myself, I still had work to do and weight to regain. Even though I had my period, I got my period back underweight. Maybe my body, that's how my body worked. And I don't know, you know, how much you, I suppose, can can tell the audience about the connection between periods health and eating disorders and why it's different in in other people and I think it's so good that you shared your experience of potentially like you know being nervous to regain your cycle and what that meant about how well or unwell you might be still and like I like you reiterated you can still have an eating disorder regain your period and still need to do a lot of work And similarly, Mm -hmm. you might never lose it. We know with hypothalamic amenorrhea, there's quite a strong genetic factor in in there. Uh, So we know that some people are just more predisposed to losing their cycles or being more sensitive to that relative energy deficiency or sometimes called low energy availability. But there is also quite significant links to disordered eating. And I think when most people think about hypothalamic amenorrhea and disordered eating, they immediately jump to, well, it's only restrictive eating disorders or it's only for people that are under their body's preferred optimal weight for functioning. And that is absolutely not true. We see crossovers between hypothalamic amenorrhea and all kinds of eating disorders. Um, We know that irregular patterns of eating are stressful on the body. We know that struggling with your mental health is a psychological stress, right? And that is a stress on the body that can impact your hormones and your cycle. Um, So people that might struggle with binge restrict cycles might also have hypothalamic amenorrhea or people that feel like they might struggle with binge eating, could have hypothalamic amenorrhea or any subset of disordered eating or eating disorder can be impacted by it. So there is no single one eating disorder that says 
if I have this, then I will have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And then within that, we also know that it is very much genetically, or there was a genetic element to it that makes some people more predisposed to losing their cycles, which means they need more work and more support for their body to regain them. Definitely. And I suppose, you know, within within your own practice, like I mentioned, many people in recovery may fear regaining their cycles or not know what to ex- expect. So I suppose, how do you address these like fears and misconceptions within your own, you know, coaching approach? Yeah, I think that the biggest one is to just validate how people are feeling and their experiences as completely common, right? They think that they are the only person that doesn't want to regain their cycle. And I think there are a wide range of variables that can be the reason behind why a person doesn't want that for themselves. And I'm always someone that has this aspect of non-judgmental curiosity. Like, Mm -hmm. let's get curious about this and just see if we can like open up the conversation around it. Because oftentimes these are deep-rooted beliefs and fears that people keep very, very close to their chest. And sometimes even verbalizing it feels really scary and really daunting because then it is real and it's their reality. But once we actually put it out there, then we can, you know, once there is awareness, then we can kind of see if there is a way of thinking differently about this situation or thinking about what your values really are and how we Mm -hmm. work towards that. And if your goals are really aligned with period recovery, then maybe it's the thoughts and beliefs that we kind of just have to slowly tweak and change. But I think it is something that you just have to take really slowly and gracefully and know that there are going to be moments of breakthrough and moments of breakdown and you can feel really overwhelmed and really excited and all of that is a completely normal part of this journey. But I think if you feel apprehensive, I want you to know that that is completely okay. Like nobody goes, oh my God, I'm so excited to go on this journey where I'm expected to make a lot of changes that are going to be really difficult. You might feel it's incredibly important and at the same time be completely terrified. And that is okay. For sure. And it's not something, it's again, going into the dark a lot of the time, you know, and, and kind of rummaging about and trying to find that key or that light. And that is scary, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. And I, I think a lot of the work that I do with clients is more around the identity building aspect, the, the identity outside of an eating disorder and, and what that actually means. Um, and maybe regaining a period if you lost it is part of that, you know, re- rebuilding that self-worth and that actually having having a cycle is, is so important. I mean, I suppose it would be useful to know what you know, I know a couple of things, but I'm sure you know a lot more. What is the role of having a period and why is it so important um, for the female yeah. body? So most people think their periods are for fertility and they would be correct. <laughs> Menstrual cycles are there for our fertility as one aspect. 
but there are many roles that our hormones play in our overall health. So when we're thinking about the menstrual cycle, we are thinking about two kind of main hormones, but the one that gets all the limelight is estrogen. So estrogen plays several roles within the body. And one of the biggest ones you'll often hear about is how important it is in bone health, right? We don't typically think about our skeletons all that much. We can't really see them. But estrogen is one of these hormones that ensures that our bones are well looked after, right? So it helps with bone building and also slows down the process of bone breakdown, right? Which means that we are able to achieve and maintain optimal bone health through those reproductive years if we're kind of generally active and looking after ourselves and having calcium-rich foods and sunlight and all of that jazz. So a period isn't just about fertility. In fact, many of the people that I work with do not want to get their periods back to immediately have fertility or fall pregnant. They are for a variety of other reasons. Another one is estrogen's cardioprotective, right? So it is beneficial for our heart health to have sufficient estrogen levels floating around. And then we think about other things like estrogen and progesterone are also really helpful as, you know, within our mood and our mental health. We see a really strong correlation between rates of depression and anxiety and people that have hypothalamic amenorrhea. Beyond your bone health, beyond your heart health, we also think about your musculoskeletal system. Mm. So estrogen is helpful with a process called protein synthesis, which is the building of muscle and the maintenance of muscle. So if you have a missing period and you're a person that is, you know, an avid exerciser and you really enjoy working out, I'm always saying to people, I'm like, you will actually get so many more benefits if you press pause now and you work on this portion of your well-being. And then you return to exercise slowly, safely. When you get back to doing what you were doing before, you will have exponential better outcomes. Yeah, Yeah, better outcomes, better energy. You'll enjoy it more. Um, And then we do have other things. So uh, estrogen is one of the, well, estrogen, progesterone, LH, testosterone, all of these things. We know that they have a role to play in libido or sexual desire. So sometimes low libido is pretty common when you have hypothalamic amenorrhea. So those are all the things that you can expect to improve Mm -hmm. um, that are directly related to your hormones themselves. Uh, And then we have all of these other benefits that come alongside just being re-nourished. So those are kind of whole body aspects of better energy, better sleep, um, hair, skin and nail growth. Mood regulation was a big thing for me about feeling happier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, we expect ourselves to be elated, but we actually don't recognize that all of those neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, they require a lot of energy for our body to make. And we have to go, we've got to give it that energy so that it can make those things. So yeah. And stable blood sugars obviously helps with mood stability as well. For sure. For sure. And again, I think a lot of the time, you know, people, especially if they don't want to have children, which is a totally valid decision, 
can oftentimes go well go I well I don't need to deal with the period then but actually yes it's to help you have you know be fertile but again you like you mentioned a period's role is not just for that and I think that was very important for me to recognize and understand because otherwise I might have not seen the the role of it yeah I guess from your point of view did you actively think about regaining your period or was it not something that was front of mind for you all the time it's always been very front of mind actually maybe not at the start of my journey was when I was when I was very young because I developed my eating disorder when I was an early early teen and when I was um in you know a hospital facility which was part of my own journey it wasn't it was just not even I was too a bit too young and naive to realize the the importance Mm. of a period to be honest um but as I got older and as I started uh being in relationships I was like oh I don't really want to have sex (laughs) and to be honest I was like what is going on this is not nice and you know I'm a researcher um by nature so I was like "Ah, I know what's going on I've you know this is not right and so you know my late teens was where I actively tried to to get my period back and I was quite quite lucky that it was a a somewhat easy process for me and not for everyone maybe because I didn't struggle with my relationship with exercise I think that was probably a part of why it was easier than maybe somebody who struggles with that excessive exercise part of their journey um but yeah it was an active an active decision um that being said it's very my period is very sensitive and it has been along the years I've had a period of being physically unwell just from just from life uh, I, I got ill traveling and my period was the first thing to disappear just because it was under stress so it, it you know it got it came back very quickly but again what we've got to remember is when the body is under a time of physical stress emotional stress sometimes our period goes um and it's a marker of okay things are not going you know are not right here and yeah, uh, yeah. so it's yeah and I think it's so easy to jump into a state of like self-blame when that happens. Like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And catastrophizing when your period goes missing again. And look, as someone that has had their cycles back for several years, I don't, I don't know if that like period anxiety ever fully ceases. Uh, Sometimes when I've had like a stressful, you know, a few months and I go like, oh, my body feels a little bit different is my period going to come this month or I I work with people for whom there are lapses in their cycle being regular and it really is just about kind of going look our body's just giving us information it's not trying to sabotage us at all periods and our hormones are reflectively responsive to our environment So if they sense an environment that's a little bit stressful, sometimes they go into hibernation, but we know that we can get them back. For sure. And I think, you know, on that, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. And I've heard a lot of my clients going, well, is my body broken? I'm never going to be able to have a period again. And, you know, I think the the straight answer is your body is not broken. But what can you offer um, as insight into that, into that fear? I think knowing that hypothalamic amenorrhea is a form of secondary amenorrhea, so your body's done it before, has, you know, it's good evidence that your body can do it again. But I think the hard thing is that we don't have a crystal ball. 
we can't tell you that your period is going to return in X number of weeks or months time at X body size, doing X amount of exercise or eating X kind of way. And that's often the most difficult. And I think that's the kind of reassurance that people are often seeking that I'm willing to put in the effort if I know where I'm going to land with the outcome. And I feel like that is, it's not something that we can offer as reassurance because we don't know ourselves, but the thing that we can reassure people about is that there are, you know, a wide range of different professionals that you can work with to make sure that nothing else is preventing your periods from returning. And also while you work on your periods returning, you can also rebuild other aspects of your life so that it's not you know, this central focus that you're stressing about and thinking about 24 seven, because we know that that's not healthy either. And I'm sure you see this in your coaching all the time where people kind of almost make recovery, like a part of their identity and like a central focus to the point of it preventing them from, I guess, engaging in yeah. other areas of their life. For sure. And I think that's, you know, incredibly important is, recovery your eating disorder it's you know it's something that it's been a part of your life and probably there will be you know aspects that you will never forget and that's also okay because it's a marker of how far you've come but it's also important to you know really support that healthy relationship with self and life um outside of outside of it um i suppose something we've not really really touched on is what how how does one start to work on getting their cycle back like what's the role of nutrition and 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 exercise yeah yeah so those two parts are obviously absolutely fundamental um and a lot of people who hear the words hypothalamic amenorrhea or have read the book that you know everyone kind of orders which is no period now what often come across this concept of 2500 calories now i don't often like talking about numbers because people get hooked on numbers and that is definitely not something that i would recommend i'm not someone that promotes calorie counting and if you are someone that is fixated on that number i want you to try and put it to the back of your mind as much as possible okay because people need different amounts of food and sometimes much more food than people around them or than they've previously had in order to be well nourished right and i think the point of recovery isn't you know, to think about food as quote unquote too much, but always making sure that you're eating enough. Enough is always what we're aiming for at every stage of life. Mm, So that looks like regular adequate meals and snacks. So creating a baggy routine that you can live in that has some structure around having three really good nourishing meals and some snacks in between and those snacks are probably going to be more than what you have been used to in the past and that is okay so uh, we usually work with clients to really kind of slowly but surely build upon what they're already having and what they're already enjoying to make sure that they are 
eating a balance of good nutrition, but also they're incorporating things that are satisfying, things that they enjoy, things that are soul-fulfilling because that is a really yeah. important part of having a good relationship with food as well. Definitely. So that soul food is so important. It just made me laugh because I remembered, I, I, bizarrely, I love dal and rice. Like it, dal, if you don't know what dal, <laughs> dal is, it's like a lentil stew with rice. And I remember it's because my mum, I was brought up in kind of a, my parents are hippies. That was just my, my upbringing. So they had a lot of like lentils, lentil stews and curries growing up. So it was like my thing. I was like, I, my body craved it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with this. And it was maybe the a mix between fats and carbohydrates was basically what my body was wanting. Not just yeah. almond rice. I didn't just eat that obviously, but it was something that gave me a bit of joy when I was recovering my period. Yeah. And you're so right. I think you hit the nail on the head. So oftentimes um, protein is kind of like over promoted as a really important macronutrient to the point where we miss out on sufficient amounts of fats and carbohydrates, which are fundamentally important for our bodies to be functioning really, really well. So we kind of think about the way that we structure meals a little bit differently in period recovery. Uh, we want a really good, sufficient amount of carbs, some good healthy fats, and then protein's going to be in there, but it doesn't need to like be put up on a pedestal at every single meal and every single snack. So similar to you, I think I found my joy from two things. Like one was like a rice dish like you loved, which is poke bowls. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. sushi <laughs> bowl. Oh, like could have eaten them All every day, single every day. day. Oh, so much. And sandwiches. I just fell back in love with like all of the different kind of sandwiches that I could eat, like sandwiches and crisps. Like it was just such like a fond memory of, you know, the kind of lunch you would have as a child. And child. This is, mm, this is great. This is so delicious. Um, it's, to be fair, a sandwich and crisps is, is still something that still I Still something I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the time. Um, and then if we're talking about kind of the, the movement piece or the exercise piece, um, and I, I like talking about more the movement side of piece because it, it can be both structured and incidental movement that we have to, to look at. Some people have given up all forms of structured movement but might be moving incidentally quite a lot. So lots of walking, a very active job, um, maybe lots of like domestic duties around the house and that might be keeping them kind of in that state of low energy availability. And then for other people, it is more those like traditional like gym style workouts or dance or running or another sport that might be putting them in that low energy category. So with movement, it isn't so much a one size fits all piece. And I think that's really frustrating that some people do need to kind of cut out exercise altogether for their periods to return while other people can tolerate a level of moderate to light physical activity. So um, my biggest tip would be if you're doing any high intensity exercise to work on slowly cutting that out altogether, give yourself a deadline, get an accountability buddy, find something else that can occupy your time that is not movement related and then in general, if you're doing lots and lots of incidental movement or you feel very attached to steps and amounts of walking, 
work on cutting that down to a more reasonable amount. So a more reasonable amount definitely looks like kind of under an hour, most definitely. But I'm saying to people, if we're thinking about, you know, guidelines for healthy living and the general population is recommended to get roughly kind of 30 minutes movement a day, like 30 minutes is probably okay for you to get to. Definitely. And I think a lot of people are like, I have to sit down all day, every day. But what we need to remember is we're all humans. And especially if you're, you know, you're a working age population, potentially you have like an active job and you can, you know, recover your period in that way. But, you know, when working with a specialist like yourself, you know, or a coach or a nutritionist, that will be taken into account. Your, your energy levels might be a lot higher than somebody who says, you know, is in a sedentary job for instance, because there is going to be different energy requirements and then over and above what you, what you actually, what you actually need. Um, so everyone's so different. And I think within that, we really have to be like super compassionate to ourselves and not compare to other people who might be able to do a different amount or have to eat differently to us. And I think, in a recovery space that can be really hard to do to to kind of like stay in your own lane and put your blinders on and, and really just focus on yourself. But at the same time, it is something that will bring you so much more peace if you are able to do that. For sure. And I suppose, you know, coming, coming and wrapping up this, this episode, how, what would you what would you give to people? Obviously, this this has been like a touch point into into periods and eating disorders. But what insight would you give to anyone listening who's maybe starting that journey for you know the next steps, for instance? Yeah, I would say that don't overwhelm yourself with too much information because oftentimes that can create more decision fatigue around what you should be focusing on. If support is available to you, definitely invest in getting some personalized guidance around your nutrition and your exercise, just because it can simply take away that decision-making power and set you on the path for focusing your energy on just consistently nourishing your body with what's being recommended changing your movement to what is a reasonable level for you and your needs. Um, and it just makes the process so much shorter and less stressful. I know that that's absolutely not the case that everyone will be able to do that. Uh, in which case, again, you know, there are support groups out there just being mindful of how much you engage with it and taking care of your mental health along the way is going to be super important for you. So that element of support, if you can get a tiny little bit of personalized guidance, it will make, you know, it will give you skills, coping skills, strategies, as well as that kind of, these are the the right changes for you and you need to make. Um, But that would be my best advice for someone just starting out. Don't overwhelm yourself, get some advice, get some help, get some support. 
For sure. And I think, you know, if you are great, you know, lucky enough to have um, family and friends around, a lot of the times be open with them, communicate your needs. Yeah. You know, I, I've had some great people along my own journey who have just been like, keep me accountable, please. I'm just going to tell you stuff. You don't need to be there telling me what to do, but I just need to tell you. And, you know, a lot of times people, people do, do understand. So, you know, I suppose if you are listening, don't lose hope. You have so much information, Sarah, on your, on your Instagram pages and, um, you know, your podcast and, you know, you have your own group. So if, you know, someone is lucky enough to be able to have the resources that is there and the information is there. So for my listeners, all of Sarah's details will be down below. Um, and you know, all of her Instagram, um, links and social media links, but, um, for the purposes of this, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you and I'll do do the same for you? Yeah. So again, I'll pop all of your details in the show notes for everyone listening on my podcast so that they can find you. But to get in touch with me, I am on social media at Sarah Liz King. That is my handle on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And my website is the same, sarahlizking.com. So all very easy to remember. Amazing. Makes it, makes it super simple. Um, with mine, my name is slightly hard to pronounce and spell. So, um, I'm at flourish with Keandra on everything again, but again, I'm sure Sarah will leave it in the, the show notes and I coach people. Um, uh, recovering from eating disorders not you know specifically on period recovery but it's definitely something we touch on within sessions so there's a lot of information out there arm yourself with that and you know don't lose hope but you know thank you Sarah for for joining me on and I think this conversation was a great a great starter and and get get people um, on the right path to recovery that's my greatest hope so thank you so much for having me on no worries thank you so much see you soon Bye.